Demi, and welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Crisis Podcast. This week, I chat with Lil Aiken, but you may know her as Flex Mommy. She is a best-selling author, DJ, podcaster, TV host. She really is the ultimate millennial slashy, and if it couldn't get more impressive, she's also the founder of Flex Factory and now Future Group Chat. This woman is a doer through and through, and that really is the takeaway from this episode. It is living your best, most fun life, experimenting with shit, understanding who you are at your core, and moving through life, making decisions purely on that. She is absolutely hilarious, bestows a whole lot of wisdom on us, and she's definitely going to give you a big kick up the ass to start doing. So let's jump straight into episode 55 of the podcast, The Art of Doing with Flex Welcome to the Millennial Crisis Podcast, Lil. I am so excited to chat with you today. So many months in the making. Right? I think everyone that follow someone online feels like they know them to some extent but I think the interesting part about you is that like we know you but we also really don't okay I love that yeah that is we'll, the get vibe. Into that. we'll get into that a little bit later but first what is your name age and what do you do or what are you known for my name is Lillian but I prefer Lil but everybody else knows me as Flex I am 27. I think it's a good age for me. And what do I do or what am I known for? I am a DJ, a TV presenter, a podcaster, a best-selling author. Yeah. And I own a business called Flex Factory and we sell gifts and games and conversation cards for millennials. Amazing. I love that you have such a consistent line of explaining what you do you're the textbook millennial slashy you do it all and do it everywhere you got to. you gotta yeah. actually do it you can't just say you're a slashy and then give me two jobs mm, no. <laughs> no it's you and your side hustle <laughs> yeah you and your hobbies <laughs> yeah exactly the first thing I want to dive into I wonder what is your purpose for showing up online Mm. I would say right now it's out of obligation. (laughs) Initially, I would say, so I've been doing this online thing for about seven years now, maybe closer to eight. And initially, I would say for the first two years, I was definitely role playing what other creators online would do. I was definitely not leading the pack by any means. I just wanted to keep up with the Joneses. And so if we were doing flat lays, I was doing flat lays. If we were going to find the pink wall in Sydney, I was going to go find a pink wall in Sydney and take a photo as well. And then about two years in, it dawned on me that you can't compete where you don't compare. And I just was playing a losing game, which I do not do. <laughs> I Some people say I'm competitive. I don't even think it's that. I don't like losing. And so I often don't play in spaces where I'm not set up to win. So I decided if I decided that if I was going to maintain doing this online thing, then I would do it in a way that makes the most sense to me, which was trying to figure out what do I actually want to do here? And the only thing I could think of was build an actual community that I could talk to 
because I like talking about concepts, about theories, about psychology, about philosophy. I like sincerely debating hypothetical scenarios, like to the hilt. I want to talk about every hypothetical thing that could ever happen and debate it and then get over it. And so I thought if I could integrate that into my platform, at the very least, I could show up as myself. And at at the very, very least, I wouldn't feel like I was second to everyone else who was doing it well. Then I had this kind of epiphany that if I'm going to be out here commodifying myself, commodifying my interests, my thoughts, my beliefs, I might as well just show up as I am, (laughs) which meant that suddenly... I wasn't trying to document the big events. I was documenting everything in between, all that mundane stuff that nobody wants to show suddenly became my content strategy. So I'm not going to show you, you know, me at MTV, but I'll just show you like me getting ready and the thoughts I have before then and the behind the scenes. And turns out that resonated with people. So I'd say for the last four years, the priority has been showing up as myself, but also I really struggle with social media. I feel as though it's a double-edged sword. All the things that I once really enjoyed about having a community and a platform are all the things that I mostly hate about it now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I often toy with this idea of like, oh, what if I just get off social media if I dislike it as often as I do? But then I'm finding that so much of my value in the other career slashes I have are so contingent on maintaining a social media profile and because I've done it in such a specific way where I'm encouraging two-way discourse and I'm encouraging um, uh, people to regard me as a human and engage with me as a human I can't really backtrack without it impacting me like my engagement my metrics the money I make on the platform that's how they get you that's how they get you (laughs) social media is like this giant like (laughs) sell your soul yeah like you want to do it sell it sell it to the devil (laughs) um so it's it's interesting because i i can make it what i try to do is make all of my jobs as enjoyable as they can be but i try not to forget that they are jobs and as i make it fun because i need it to be fun otherwise i'm going to lose my shit but I don't want anyone to feel as though I jump online because it's like my life's purpose. No, (laughs) jump online because I'm obligated to as part of my job. (laughs) Because you recently shared something about saying how you want to do much, much less work that requires you to commodify yourself. And with the millennial crisis community, I get, and I, you will get this like on a giant scale, but because we're talking about real things and engaging in conversation, you get not only people like confessing things to you. So you're dealing with that all the time, but it's also having to engage in that conversation, which you do on the daily or at least full capacity a few times a week in your like conversations that you run and stuff. And also like, I know you mentioned yourself as a slushy, but like when I see you, I feel like you are like a cultivator of community through conversation. Like, Mm. and it, I feel like that fits in, you know, I'm going to write that down. (laughs) That kind of is it. Let me get a little, Let's not forget that cultivating okay. community through conversation. Don't forget. When I you will stop send recording, that to you in an email. You, <laughs> I will change my email you. signature. <laughs> yeah, but but it's true, and I think I think the reason that I really wanted you on is because you do such a great job of doing that. Mm. But I also know that the other side of that is it's like having thousands of people in your room all the time, like giving you everything. And you're like, I really want to help, 
but I can't help, like I'm drowning mm-hmm. <laughs> right now. And is that how you feel or how do you deal with that? I feel like that to a degree. It's not that severe anymore because I've had to set personal boundaries with myself. I feel as though what made it really difficult is because I was asking my audience to regard me as a person and not a 2D character, they went, their instinct was to go to friend. She's my friend. And my friend would respond to me whenever she could. And my friend would give me advice when I asked for it. My friend would tell me where her eyeshadow is from. My friend would invite me to this gig. My friend would do this. My friend would give me a discount. And I, it only took me a while to realize that. And I was like, wait, I'm not your friend. I just said, regard me as a person. <laughs> like you, you can treat me with respect and not be my friend. I'm not asking that of you. Um, and so uh, it became really tricky because when I, when I realized how much a toll it was taking on me to have nurtured a community, because, you know, when you have 10,000 followers uh, and maybe 10%, sorry, when you have 10,000 followers and 10% of them engage with you, that's pretty doable. You know, like you're going back and forth, it ebbs and flows, some conversations interest others, some don't. And so naturally it's quite manageable. And so because I started as I intended to finish, because I started from like 10K followers or 5K, knowing that I wanted to build this community, it meant that as that community grew, the expectation remained, you know, nobody was really reconciling the fact that it is hard to maintain this experience with 150,000 people, especially those who have been here from the beginning, who know how much that I give to the platform. And so it's, it's really, so what I tried to do initially was set a boundary with how people engaged with me. And I used to be really staunch about it. I was like, Hey babes, like, just so you know, I'm not your friend. I'm not your therapist. I'm not your, your person that you philosophize with. Uh, I'm not, I'm not even your acquaintance. I'm really just a person on this app externalizing my thoughts. And a lot of you feel entitled to this relationship we have because you're under the impression that I get paid to do this. I do not. And I get paid to do this bit. This bit is me just wanting a way to make this job enjoyable for myself by building genuine connections. So this transaction you're expecting is um, built on this idea that you're entitled to more of my time than I'm willing to give you. And like, let's halt it there. And yes, like sure, people really understood where I was coming from. But every time I got, I got a new thousand followers, a new thousand followers, they weren't here for that, <laughs> that disclaimer. <laughs> they don't know what's happening. And so I began to realize, oh, I had to set that personal boundary and I had to you know, risk the wrath of my audience by, you know, opening a message and not replying ah! or um, telling someone that I don't want to give you advice because I don't have the capacity. Or if somebody was, you know, I have this thing where every time I share a thought, people think it's a debate and they start coming at me with their thoughts as well. And I always remind people, you know, if, if in particular they're fighting with me about a concept I have, I'll always be like, I wasn't even speaking to you. And I recognize it feels really personal because you open up the app and I'm addressing, you know, you on your phone, but please don't debate me. Like I opened up this app to cause you problems. I don't know you like that. I wasn't talking to you like that. And it sobers people up really quickly because then they have to reevaluate what they think their relationship is with me and how entitled they feel to a discussion with me. But I also feel on, um, on a very base level, people don't treat me as a human a lot of the time. And I don't mean to say that people are outright disrespecting me, but they definitely wouldn't treat me with the respect they would treat someone who they're physically engaging with. 
So asking me for things and not even saying please or thank you or being over familiar and requesting that they see my partner, my family, my best friend, um, going through my followings to find the uh, usernames of my best friends to ask them questions about what they do. They're not in the public eye. I don't show them for a reason. And so it's like people don't recognize that the reason why I sometimes feel like I don't have the capacity to do this job is because I'm not being treated like a person, mm. yet I'm being expected to be the most empathetic, the most patient, the most kind, the most charismatic, the most helpful, the most open at all times, no matter what. And it's not worth it to me. I don't, I don't need to talk to strangers that badly. <laughs> and it's, it's a constant reminder to people that like, I don't really have to be here that badly. I want to, but if it's not fun, I'll just go. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting. And I think that's a thing. The reason that I like loved it so much was because how blunt you were in setting those boundaries. Mm. And it's so refreshing because I've never seen it communicated in such a nice way to be like, hey, 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 like I'm just here. I'm giving you this. Do you do what you want with it? Deal with it yourself. Stop coming at me. And I think that's also why I wouldn't regard you as, again, you are an influencer. You influence people in that way. But in saying that, like, you're just showing up on the internet. And that was why that first question was there. Because I was like, I wonder what her pro like thought process is. Why has she decided to show up? And mm. the evolution, I think, you can see through your content too. I took a deep dive into your content and I think you can see the the ebbs and flows of what you spoke about earlier yeah. about I started here and then my content became this. And then it was like, actually, now I don't give a fuck and I'm going to post whatever I want and you guys do with it what you will. Yeah. Stay if you want, leave if you want, it's up to you. Yeah, yeah it, it feels really nice to give yourself permission to do so. But I, what I also think is really interesting is that I try not to resent my audience for the way that they behave because I was complicit in that behavior for so long. Like there were so many times I felt so appreciative that somebody would ask me for advice. So like, you don't even know me and you regard me as someone who is objective enough to give you advice. Yes, I will do that. <laughs> uh, so it is my fault. I, I, I definitely was complicit and I perpetuated a lot of this behavior and it's really hard to unravel and undo what you did for so long. And I, and it's so easy to, um, to feel obligated to people and their requests from you, because I don't think when people are asking me for advice, tips, tricks, insights, recommendations, that they're doing it out of vain. They really trust that I have the insight for them. And I often do. Uh, I just think that a lot of people are self-centered in the way that they don't understand that they're one of 500 for that, for that hour or that day, you know? So perhaps on its own in solitary, uh, if it was an isolated question on an isolated day, and if this is the first time I was getting a question, oh yeah, that's easy, but it's not, it's the overfamiliarity of everybody being like, well, why wouldn't you respond to me? I'm asking you a question. <laughs> I'm like, you are one of 500 people in my DMS right now, expecting something from me unprovoked for free. Mm -hmm. And often when I used to say that people like, People would say to me, well, why don't you just monetize this aspect of your engagement? Why don't you ask people to pay you for questions and tips? I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to commodify every aspect of my being because people can't 
self-regulate and determine if it's appropriate to ask me about their particular relationship scenario or for skincare advice. I don't need to tell people to not do that for them to know that it isn't always appropriate or that I'm also entitled not to respond to them. So it is a tricky industry to exist in. Uh, And I don't even think it's relatable because a lot of my influencer peers, colleagues, acquaintances, friends do not uh, engage with their audience like I do. They don't have a community like I do. They really are just 2D characters in their audience's phones that people hate watch or hate stalk or look at for a bit of entertainment. There's no expectation for a relationship there which is fine, but that's why I often can understand why people don't understand because people think they really get it. They think they understand what it's like to have hundreds of thousands of people on you every day, all thinking that they have a relation with, relationship with you, all thinking that they're entitled to your time, your energy, your empathy, your education. People like to think they can conceptualize it. They like to think they have the skills to be able to do it, or they like to think they have the emotional resilience for it. You do not. It's not a relatable thing. Very few people can say they're experiencing what I'm experiencing. And that's why I often find myself setting personal boundaries as opposed to trying to make people understand what they could never understand without being who I am in this particular body with this particular experience. Yeah. No, I, I, couldn't imagine like I said like with the millennial crisis both TikTok and Instagram when if something blows up or something and we're getting constant messages or engaging in conversation nights and things like that I like I will respond and then for a week I am done like don't Mm -hmm. touch me don't talk to me I can't deal with it and that's why I was really interested to hear your take on things because it is crazy and now that we run in-person events like I've said to everyone because I see so many people affected I'm like this is community run like yes put yourselves out yeah I'm here to like help facilitate these things and Mm -hmm. get them going but outside of that this is you and people like people like you want to empower people to be able to do that because essentially like empower them to start conversations in the comments and do that and there are so many influencers that are slowly starting to do things like that which I think is really cool and changing the way of what this online space can be and how that community can work which I think is like an awesome trend and space to be in I think with, which is one of the reasons why TikTok works so well because it almost works as a Reddit thread, the comment sections, you know? Yeah. Um, the the next kind of space I want to talk to you about is, I mentioned before that I see you as a cultivator of community through conversation. <laughs> and I wonder, what does conversation and community mean to you? Ugh. Everything. Well, conversation, I really hold so sacred. I really think it's the conduit to everything in life. Everything you want, desire, feel, need, dream about requires a conversation of some sort. And I think the average person is lacking, not only in communication skills, in emotional intelligence, in active listening, um, in critical thinking, in all these tools that really make communicating um, effective. Not only effective, but mutually beneficial and exciting and nourishing. Uh, And as somebody who... I don't know. I've always had this, I have this chronic lone wolf syndrome where I really feel like I'm alone in in the sea of people at all times. I don't feel lonely. That's not my thing, 
but I often physically and spiritually and metaphysically feel as though I'm in a room sitting on a podium and everybody's watching me, but not engaging with me. They kind of see me, but do they feel me? I don't know. Uh, And that's like a personal thing that I'm dealing with in therapy. However, I always find that conversation is the bridge that really gets me to feel like I'm being understood on a level that I want to be understood, that I'm connecting with people in a way that actually matters to them, to me, to this, to life, to purpose, to whatever we're doing. And I didn't recognize how much I needed quality conversation until I was, I don't know, three years into being a public figure and recognize that the most conversation I'd be getting out of people were empty compliments or um, (laughs) getting me to demystify my career. And I was thinking, gosh, like, is there anything else we can talk about? You don't want to know what I dreamt about? You want to (laughs) know what I ate today? (laughs) And then for a second there, I was just lamenting the conversations I was having. I felt very passive in the way that I felt I had no control over the outcome of these conversations. I was a victim to bad conversation. And then I came to the conclusion that I have agency and I can empower those around me to meet me at the level that I want to have conversations at, as opposed to saying, well, they're they're not on my level. They don't think the way I do. Therefore, I could never speak to them. And so it, it was so, I felt so invincible when I recognized that a lot of the reasons why people don't feel empowered to have conversations is because of the mentality that I had. I was writing people off, not to their faces, but mentally. I was saying like, they don't, they don't get it. Like they don't think that the way that I do. So I don't want to engage them at all. When in reality, people just need their moment. And it takes, um, it takes a certain level of vulnerability to show up as your full self in a conversation, uh, not anticipating that it's going to go your way, not anticipating that you're going to really connect on a level, but just to show up. And I wanted to show people that like, yeah, you could do it. You, it can be done. The community, I didn't realize would be like a, like the butterfly effect of, of encouraging and empowering people to have conversations they want to. Cause I was like, it is all about community, isn't it? And I guess anybody who, most people who, who've grown up in the West have this hyper individualistic approach to life. It's me on my own. I'm going to handle it. I'm the main character. Everybody else is a side character. And that is fine in small doses to, to get you through the day. But really it all comes back to community. How connected do you feel to those around you? Do you feel like you have a support system? Do you feel like you can trust those around you? And if so, let's do something about it. I, I still think that I... I don't think I've nailed the community bit. I think I'm really good at building communities, but the next tier is building communities that reflect me as a person. I was thinking, um, so my podcast, Bobo and Flex, we used to have this Facebook group and initially we had built the Facebook group so our listeners could engage with each other because again, Bobo and I created this podcast to talk to each other, to get to know each other. The, the first podcast episode we ever uploaded was our second long form conversation ever so that was our outlet and it was almost like a voyeuristic thing to let people listen to our conversations and then eventually our community grew from 5,000 to 10,000 people in the Facebook group to 15,000 to 20,000 and what we ended up seeing was that we had very specific ideas about what the group would be for and specific ideas on how we wanted to cultivate and nurture that group. We said that we didn't want any moderators because we didn't want to create any hierarchies. 
we said that we weren't the bosses of the group. We just created the space and it was for them to decide what they wanted to do with that space. We wouldn't dictate what could be said, when it could be said. It's just for our listeners, you know, you own it. And what we found that at 10,000 listeners, people were, were craving hierarchy. They needed to know who was in control, who had power, who was making the rules, you know, who, who was able to wield consequences, who was able to push people around. And we were thinking, no one, you just kind of, you know, you just leave if you don't want to be here, you stay if you want to be here, or you have a, you have a constructive conversation if it's necessary. It didn't work. We kind of thought it would work out. And for some moments it did, but the bigger the group grew, the more people were craving um, just consistency in their experience in that space. And they attributed that consistency to rules, moderation and hierarchy. Uh, And what ended up happening was people would, come to the space and not have even listened to the podcast because it was just a fun or interesting space to be in but the but what we found was that no matter the experience people were having whether or not it was it was conceptualized from a conversation that I started or Bobo started it was always our fault you know because we didn't jump in when somebody was debating whether or not tanning is racist we can we condone it and therefore it's our fault because we didn't jump in when somebody was talking about how she um, was being groomed um, but was in denial we're condoning uh, grooming and it's what we're not even in this group we don't even go here Uh, and so suddenly it wasn't when people would reflect on their experience in that group they weren't saying oh there are a bunch of strangers in that group who made my experience really bad they will say I was in Bobo and Flex's podcast group and I had a bad experience and I wish they would have been there for me. What do you want? Go away. Get over yourselves. <laughs> I don't know you. <laughs> so my, when I think about how I want to build community in, a, in the future, I'm, I really want to build a community where the people there aren't there because they feel as though they have this connection to me that's rooted in delusion I want to be able to cultivate a space where I really feel like these are my people. You didn't come here because you want to be my inferior. You want to be a fan. You want to have your one degree of separation from flex. You're here because we share similar values and we have similar interests and we both like the way each other approaches conversation and life and our interests. And I feel like that's a really hard thing to do when people are so obsessed with influencer culture fame culture celebrity culture that's not what they do but <laughs> I ha- I'm hopeful that we can get to that point eventually no f- for sure I think it's so interesting I'm all about slow growth like I used to be very much in hustle culture a lot and now I'm like slow growth is the way to go and I've constantly gotten like you know, when people like come with ideas like, oh, you could grow this much and you could do this and I, I could do that. And I was like, no, no, no. I don't think you guys understand. Like this community, this space is here for people that resonate now. And that's it. If you don't like it, go somewhere. Like you shouldn't swear. Okay, fuck off then. Go to someone else that doesn't swear. Exactly. Go to, like I don't care. And the interesting thing is about what you're saying and your thoughts on community is when I started researching millennials, I 
became like fascinated by how the internet has like changed us and stuff like that. And I've been interviewing people. And at the start, I thought like we were all looking for purpose through work. Like we all wanted to do something we loved and that was what was going to solve our problem. Now I realize, oh, capitalism, that's what, where that And I realized that we were the generation with the most connections online and, you know, in person, it seemed like we had so many friends, but we actually had the least community. We had the least quality connections. A lot of us felt how you described yourself in the beginning, like a lone wolf in a room. And it's like, they don't get it. Like Mm -hmm. nobody understands me and all of this stuff. And it's why when I started running the in-person events, the aim was for people to leave feeling less alone in that feeling. And I think that's what, like, I think it's really interesting because that's what your cards do as well. But you don't, I don't know, do you get to experience that yourself? Because when I run these events, I feel, okay, that's why I do it. Like when I leave the event, I see everyone's experience. I feel, they all feel connected. They all feel like, oh my God, like what? I'm not the only one that feels crazy in this. Do you get to experience that from your cards? Like you create that experience for people, but do you get the fulfillment from it? I mean, yes and no. Initially, I felt really empowered that I would do this thing that would have so much impact outside of me. Like what I created with my brain and these two hands and put out into the world, it's living its own truth without me, which I feel really excited about and I feel really fulfilled by. But I also feel really detached from the outcome because when I... I don't often see people play the game because, you know, they buy it, they play it in their own spaces, but I might be sent like a little video or something. And I observe the way people play. And I think to myself, oof, it's just gone over your head, hasn't it? It's gone over your head. Yep. Yeah, this is not it. It's a party scene. Pre-drink. It's a party Let's game. Reflex. Which, yeah. <laughs> which again, that is so fun. I love that. But part of the whole point in playing I knew that when I made these cards, there'd be two distinct uses. The first use would be to read every question at face value, have a bit of a laugh, rush through the deck, get through it, finish it, put it aside, never look at it again, buy a new game. But my intention was for people to understand that through asking these questions, your interest should not only be the answer you receive, but the conversation that that happens after it. What are you learning about this person? Are they rushing to share and be vulnerable with you? Do they have walls up? Do they feel like they have enough trust in this interaction to share? How do you make them feel more comfortable? Are you moderating? Are you giving them a safe place to land? That is what I'm interested in because, and again, like when I show and tell people to play it that way, they say, oh my God, that makes so much sense. Like, I love it. This is really amazing. But part of what I want to do or part of what I feel as though my role is is to give people the tools and not spoon feed them because then we go back to square one and so it's similar to the way that I used to have a lot more critical discussion on my platform and on my podcast on my Instagram until people would would say or would expect that in order for them to have critical discussion, it needs to happen on my platform. So people to this day, we haven't uploaded an an episode of Bobo and Flex in a while because life happens and it's not a priority right now. But people will be like, well, how am I meant to learn new things if you don't upload? You've missed the point. You've missed the point. I was leading by example to show you how it could be done and what you've internalized or interpreted interpreted that as is Flex is our lecturer. She's our educator. We learn when she teaches us. No, I don't want to be in your success journey. 
<laughs> empower yourselves. Or similarly, oh, you know, can you talk about insert topic here so I can understand it better because you do a really good, good job at explaining. Do your own fucking research. <laughs> we all had to learn. I'm not just, I didn't pop out of the womb with this ability to critically think. You know, I also almost failed high school. I also didn't understand how to write essays. I also couldn't critically think. What did I do? I had to actually apply myself. <laughs> I didn't wait for some random person on the internet to be my anchor to all the things I needed to learn. I just had to learn. And I understand that that, uh, that kind of thinking feels like it's very hyper individualistic but I don't think people understand that for the last seven years of my life I've been a slave to my community I've been whatever they needed me to be I've been their friend even when I didn't want to be I've been their therapist when I didn't want to be I've been their educator when I didn't want to be all I've done is help them do what they need to do and I feel like my community often feels like they they made me and it's like no <laughs> you didn't come here and then I turned into a person. I was this person and that drew you in. And so I don't ask them or of anything. I'm not here like, hey, I really need your help. Hey, can you really do this for me? Hey, no, I just exist and I post and you all extract. So the fact that you haven't clocked that that is not exciting for me and that is not fun. And I don't want to get up every day and make a podcast that only serves to solve your problems. I just want to be a person too. <laughs> so I, I like that. So the reason why I feel really fulfilled by Flex Factory and Reflex, but also really detached because, you know, I don't want to feel disappointed when somebody isn't engaging with the product like I want them to. I want them to get what they need from that experience and, and for that to be enough for them and then for them to go on with their lives and come back when they need some more. I'm like, do not perceive me. Don't worry about what I think. It's okay. <laughs> It's it, it's it's so interesting the way you put that because I think all the time like when you run something you you or you send a message or you say something you have your intention of like what you want and then someone turns around and like they're going the total opposite way it's like did you not re did you not it's it's crazy and then I think that takes up so much mental space and yeah I don't know it's it takes so much for you to remove and it's it's kind of sad that you have to detach yourself from it in that way because it can be you can be consumed by the way things are happening mm -hmm. I think it's the internet's a fucking crazy place I'm just it honestly like, is absurd but yeah. I feel as though these discussions really help well occupying any space intentionally is going to be very helpful because what I don't want to do or what I don't want to feel is that I'm a victim to my circumstance I want to be really aware of what I did to get to this point. I want to be really aware of where I want to be going. And I want to be really aware of what steps I can take now to make sure that I'm not stuck in this perpetual purgatory forever. <laughs> yeah. I think you, you said something before about how like people think that they made you and you said so confidently, like, uh, no, 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 no. I you did not. I made me like <laughs> I made me. Has it been easy for you to come to that conclusion? Like, was that something you built up or do you think that's always a strong self-belief you've had in yourself? It has been a strong self-belief, but it's been affirmed by the fact that a lot of people are under the impression that the Instagram followers I have gave me these opportunities. I said, no, it didn't. It definitely extended the lifetime of my public figureness. It definitely gave me permissions to occupy certain spaces but I was an MTV presenter at 5,000 followers you know I was a DJ when I had no platform I had already had proven uh I'd already had proof of concept 
that I was able to do this without an audience. And so I definitely do understand all the ways in which an audience has helped me um, show up in a currency that people understand. Like people get social clout, they get Instagram followers. They don't really understand personal branding without it. They don't really understand creativity without it. They don't really understand expertise without the, you know, the subsequent social media following. So I understand how those two marry up and um, make it really clear to an audience that I'm meant to be here. But no, <laughs> the audience the audience didn't do that. And it's interesting because um, I used to, uh, a couple of years ago, people used to ask me a lot of questions about getting into the influencer space and they want to be influencers and everything. And the topic of pay would come up a lot. Like how much should I charge? And I would always say, charge what you're worth. <laughs> and then they'd say oh I don't know what I'm worth I'm like mm, well there you go <laughs> if you don't know what you're worth then what are you charging for if you're not you know vehemently sure that you are of value in this space in a currency that speaks to the people who are exchanging money for your goods and services then don't worry about it and I was would always say like um I remember I was talking to a friend who had probably like 500,000 followers on Instagram and she was getting frustrated because she for some reason it had been exposed to her that I was getting paid a lot more than she was for the job that we were both doing together. I think I was getting paid double. And she had approached me and said that she didn't want to bitch or anything, but you know, what, what did this mean? Like, was she being underpaid? Was I being overpaid? And I said, we're being paid what our value is perceived at. And you take pretty pictures for a living and that is all you do. You don't have a community. You don't have an audience. Your engagement sucks. I have a smaller community than yours, but it is a community. My engagement's high. I'm not just a person who takes pretty picture pictures. I built a community. I'm a DJ, a TV presenter. I have a business. I have more perceived value than you do. And I, I'm like, it shouldn't, this moment shouldn't have been um, the precursor to this light bulb for you. It should be very clear what your value is because that's all you do as a freelancer communicate what your value is or what your perceived value is in the spaces that you occupy and so the perceived value of having an, an Instagram audience of my size is much higher than the actual value of it but that doesn't mean that I demean my audience I still treat them and I still let them know that I'm grateful for them by adding value I always make sure I'm adding more value than I'm extracting you won't catch me on a day asking my audience for shit unless I'm so sure that I'm worthy of what I'm asking for no every day it's me coming on here giving you recommendations you entertainment you advice you tips you tricks i'm not asking you for anything unless i feel entitled to that and i rarely do because <laughs> i don't want someone to come around and be like you asked me this you made me blah 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 like somebody said why don't i do a reflex conversation card game with um with questions kind of uh crowdsourced from my audience and i said for what so you can all come here and be like it's this is my game it's my question is the best question. <laughs> this game would not be a game with my questions. No, <laughs> I'm not doing that. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how people think their small contributions like make something. Yeah. Like you, it wouldn't have grown or it would have like, no, no, no. I didn't see you fucking start this, take the risk in the beginning, put in, invest all your time and money <laughs> into these. Like, no, like it's no. giving me like, yeah, it's anyway. <laughs> um, off that, um, but what you were saying before about that example of your friend, I fucking hope that anyone that's ever taken any of the digital marketing workshops like takes that and uses that as the best sample of like vanity metrics 
doesn't Mm -hmm. matter like stop Mm -hmm. getting caught up in that shit like it's case study after case study after case study that showcases it does not matter unless you convert and what you're doing is converting and it's showcasing through your work so Mm -hmm. that's just a side note I had to add that in because and an important side note it's the only thing people should take to heart I was having a I don't like to call my um TikTok videos rants because that demeans what they are but I was I was expressing thoughts on TikTok (laughs) because I'd seen a lot of people especially in lockdown talk about you know taking their Instagram seriously and becoming an influencer and the first time I saw it I was like you know get your coin babes there's so much to go around take their money you deserve it and then it dawned on me that this act of becoming an influencer is the thinking has been forgotten. And I say this because I feel as though people look at the perks of the industry and think that's the job in itself. An influencer's job fundamentally is to convince consumers who are willing to exchange their money to buy the goods and services the influencer is promoting. A lot of influencers do not have influence. A lot of influencers cannot get their audiences to buy jack shit ever. (laughs) But somehow because they know how to take a great photo or they know how to get onto PR lists or they know how to start podcasts, they regard themselves as people with influence. It is just not the way. Um, And like you said about vanity metrics, I feel as though people are always aspiring for a number that's going to make them feel worthy of the space they're trying to take up. And the quickest way to feel worthy of a space is to, to convince yourself, not to convince others. And this whole idea of working so hard to get that 10k 20k is just you trying to delude people that you have more influence than you do I've seen people with no social media following wield mass amounts of influence and I hate when people I see a lot of discourse online that bottles um that tries to dilute people's success down to oh you know they're rich or you know they're they've grown up in a developed country quote-unquote developed or they're white or whatever I'm like, regardless of all those things, it is hard to be influential. It is hard to be palatable to hundreds of thousands of people. Your friends won't even take your wine recommendations and you think <laughs> that you can convince a bunch of strangers to buy some random product. You don't have the juice, babe. You don't have the juice. And so you shouldn't. The world needs content creators. The world needs community builders. The world doesn't need more people trying to get them to buy stuff that they would already do on their own accord. (laughs) I always say I'm such a bad influencer because like, I do not take most jobs that come my way. I don't feel like, um, I don't feel like it's worth my time to convince people to buy things that they don't really need or want. And I always find that the objective is so muddled. Like, I'm like, build good content and the influence comes. Build a community and the influence comes. I don't understand. The internet is a weird place. It just baffles me. Yeah, it's crazy. I think people are strange and people make up the yes. internet and that's where <laughs> that's where it all comes. Um, the the kind of final thing I want to discuss with you is you recently like shared something as well about the philosophy you live by or the philosophy you adapt a lot of the way you live from. And you mentioned stoicism was where you like to draw a lot from. Yeah. And it's interesting that you said that because whenever I've seen your work and now with like the podcast, the book and the way you kind of conduct yourself, I've seen you and maybe it's because I've idolized him and that's why I've made the connections, but I've seen you as like a progressive hipper, cooler Tim Ferriss and an Aussie version. <laughs> um, that idea of like, here's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Take what you want from it. I'm just yes. showing you I'm living proof of it. That's it. 
it's it's just I feel as though and I don't know what what came first the the stoicism or just my approach to life and then I found the words for it who knows but I think that a lot of people try to justify their dissatisfaction with their life purely based on external factors as if them that they themselves have no say on the quality of their life a lot of people like to chalk it up to the fact that some people are just privileged, some people are not privileged, and those are facts 100%. But most of us, you know, the people that we would be engaging with have privilege. This is, I'm not talking about you live below the poverty line in South Sudan. No, I'm talking about fellow Australians who'd like me to believe that somehow, given their living circumstance, they're below the poverty line, bottom of the totem pole, they could never do anything because they're not special, they're not influential, they don't benefit from nepotism. It's just bullshit. It really takes so much accountability. It lacks accountability and it doesn't take into consideration the fact that there are tons of people who aren't smart, aren't talented, aren't worthy, who've who've done stuff. Like... (laughs) <laughs> I remember when I was, uh, I got my license when I was 26, right? And stop. I, so late. Cause you know, this still happens when you're like, you like, <laughs> I grew up in East Sydney, Sydney's East. So I was like, I don't need a license. Like <laughs> I was going to Uber, my friend has a car. Uh, and then it just, it, it snowballed. It, it became this thing where I was like, I was like, I don't not I don't need a license. Why, why should I get a license? You know? Anyway. So I was, when I was studying for my L's, I was feeling really insecure. I was like, how embarrassing would it be if I fail this test? Like, I just don't know if I'd recover. And then I thought to myself, the, the thing I said to me that, the thing I said to myself that motivated me so much is if a 16 year old, objectively dumb, can go and get their L's and be on the road and be driving with, you know, a suspicious amount of confidence, then I can do this. It is just like, I don't know why we've convinced ourselves that the people who do things in life are the, the smartest people, the best. No, they just show up and they try. That is the difference between the person who does and the person who does not. One of you tried and one of you probably didn't. One of you fed yourself the narrative that you needed to be a, a person who isn't yourself to get what you want. And the thing is, once I read this quote that your brain can't tell the difference between reality and fantasy, it really put into perspective so much, you know, <laughs> like, you know, when you see, you see that really like hyper arrogant macho guy who thinks his shit doesn't stink and he couldn't possibly understand why he wouldn't get a raise this year. Like he's really great at his job, even though he comes late every day and, you know, can barely string together a sentence. Like he, of course he'd get a raise. And I think to myself, that makes a lot of sense because if he really believes that, his brain doesn't know the difference. That is as real to him as the fact that water is drinkable from his tap. Those two things are truths in his mind because he's fed himself that delusion. And so while you sit here and you tell yourself the reason why you can't do what you want to do is because you weren't born white or you weren't born a man or because you weren't, you don't benefit from nepotism. Yeah, you really do believe that. And I and that's why I don't try to motivate people through sub stories and stuff because I can't change your mindset I can't tell I can't change the things that you've led yourself to believe similarly I a lot of my self-belief comes from having a mum who really gave me like this strong sense of like self-grandeur but also the fact that because I have this self-belief and because I'm constantly trying now my lifestyle affirms my delusion 
Do you know what I mean? Like, 100%. I'm not that person who's like, I'm not, I'm not really productive. Every day I get up at like midday. I always wait to the very last minute to get things done. I'm not this hyper-disciplined, like productive person. No, but I always try. And I, I'm a doer. I'm not that person who's like, oh, I have this really great idea. Like, yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and she was like, you know what? Like four years ago, I had this idea. Um, it's like Shazam for plants. I'm like, that app exists. And she's like, yeah, I know, but I thought of it four years ago. I'm like, exactly, you thought of it. You didn't do jack shit with it. And it's not the thinking, it's the application. That's the, that's the difficult bit. Could you have met an engineer, you know, put together a, a wireframe? Could you have found ways to monetize that app? Could you have documented and pro, like and profiled and cataloged all the plants in Australia? Probably, probably not. Who knows? But you didn't do anything about it. And so you can't claim that you could have. No. <laughs> There's I, all this I power couldn't. in trying. People need to try. Yeah, I literally, like, everything you've said right now is, like, I, I've every conversation this comes up because everyone that I speak to has that same outlook. It's like, you need to do, and I bring it back. It's so funny. You mentioned your mom. Cause like I bring it back to in like grade two, I got put into advanced maths. And from there, I thought I was like, my dad thought I was like a genius. And I said to my friends, I say to my friends all the time, I'm like, I get these opportunities because I believe I can get them. Like I get to do these speaking things. I get to work and do these jobs and whatever, because I, for some reason, think I can pull this shit off. Yeah. And it happens. It happens. It just happens because when push comes to shove, you have to pressure Mm -hmm. makes diamonds, man. And it's like, it's, it's, it's crazy. So um, I love that, that you mentioned all of those things and that, you don't have to wake up at fucking 5am. Like if that's not you, it's not, it's not don't a worry thing. about it. No? Yeah. People need to learn how to create like their own metrics for success and do it in a way that makes sense to them. Because we've all done the corporate job thing and been like, wait, this is supposed to feel really good. Why doesn't it feel good? Babes, because you didn't want it to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> I also feel as though I don't, when I get, you know, booked for speaking things or gigs or, you know, even when I wrote my new book, people put it in this category of motivation. She wrote it, it's you, if you go to Dimmix, it's in the motivation section. Mm-hmm. And I always say it's not my motivation to uh, inspire people because I know that I am the way I am and I'm able to do the things I do because I just believe what I believe. And so I was thinking the other day about philosophical compatibility and like if you to look at the principles of stoicism and identify with them, then you probably will be motivated by what I'm saying. But I'm not going to talk to a nihilist and be like, hey, like, do you think that, you know, this is the way you want to live your life? We're just not speaking the same conversation. We're not reading from the same book. So I say this to say, in the same way that you don't have to get up at 5 a.m. to be successful, you also don't have to feel as though you have complete agency to do the things that I've done. You just need to figure out what you are capable of doing and do them. There will not be a better time. There will not be a better opportunity. If you don't feel qualified, learn some new shit. If you don't feel like you have the resources, upskill. Like, the thing my mom used to tell me a lot when I was younger that I really didn't get until I grew up she used to tell me that I used to do things um, to 50% capacity as, as if somebody else would come and finish them for me. She's like, you don't see things through because you don't think you have to. You think that if I tell you to go take the laundry out and you go put things in the clothesline with no pegs, that I'm just going to go finish it for you. And she's like, I will because I'm your mom and I want it done properly. But the older you get, nobody's going to come swoop in and make your life better. Nobody's going to ask you for, no, nobody's going to ask you for permission 
to help you. Nobody's going to be like, hey, put your hand up so I can give you some insight. It's not going to happen. You need to be that person for yourself. So many people are waiting for their big aha moment where Flex responds to their DM and gives them advice and that motivates them to go start their own podcast and make some money. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not that person. You be that person for you. (laughs) And if you don't, there's another person far like far more mediocre, far more unproductive, far lazier than you, who's going to get what you deserve because you won't try. You won't get up, put one foot in front of the other, put one finger in front of the other and send that email. And because you won't, you live in the delusion of like, but I could have, I could have made that app, mm. but you didn't. Mm. <laughs> and in saying that, put on my Instagram the other day that I was interviewing you today and they're like, oh my God, how'd you get Flex on? And I was like, because I emailed her mm-hmm. and I made sure my email was custom and it was to her and maybe something hit with her and I found a time that fit and I found all of that stuff. Like people ask all the time, how did you do it? Like, I just put it out there. If they don't, mm-hmm. if they don't respond, I follow up in a few months and I ask again. And if they don't, then it doesn't align, you know? Yeah. And it's like... a. a anyway so that's a that's a whole it's always send that email I remember when I became how'd you become a DJ I sent an email how'd you become an MTV presenter I sent an email but also the thing that let's let's quickly uh address the elephant in the room modern networking culture is always like send an email ask me out for coffee no (laughs) you're not entitled to someone's time because you want to extract value from them no Only hit up people if you can guarantee you're going to add some value into their life. Don't worry about it if you're not. Mm -hmm. Because if you are a person who's going to reach out to someone who you know is valuable, I guarantee they have better things to do than humor you. They have more people in their DMs asking for similar requests. And the difference between the ones they respond to and the ones they don't are the intention, the impact, and the value exchange. No, somebody who run people who run seven figure businesses don't want to take time out of their day to go talk to you about your half baked idea. They don't want to do that. Can I pick your brain? Can I pick your brain? No, you can't pick my brain. (laughs) And also another thing that I want to get to, because every time I do a podcast of this similar vein and I say like, you need to apply yourself. What happens is I get a bunch of DMs. People being like, I listen to your podcast. I just want to ask you a few questions. I promise you that whatever question you want to ask me, I've done 10 other podcasts talking about it. I've written a book, go read it. Like scroll down through my Instagram. Don't ask me to take time out of my day to do an individualized plan for you when you could just read through the archives of the proof of proven results. You know, you have to apply yourself. Everybody wants, everybody wants the person to fill in the gaps of what they're not doing. Like if you really want advice on how to start a podcast and haven't already watched 10 videos on how to start a podcast, don't, don't talk to me, please (laughs) leave me out of it. And the amount of messages I get as well, because I often say to people when on like, so when I do some, when I mentor people, they always say to me, you know, how are you so forthcoming with your information? You know, why don't you gatekeep this? Why are you telling me? I'm like, because you came to me already of, already um, having done the work, I trust that the information I am giving to you is going to be used well and properly. I want everyone to come get this coin. I want everyone to live a life where they have agency, but I don't want to be the conduit to do that. I want you to start and I want to assist. I don't want to be the person that has to break my back for your half-baked idea so you feel good that you've applied yourself for six seconds of the day. No, 
Like I'm so down to give information. I'm so down to share my platform. I'm down to share my network. I'm down to share my resources, but you also have to show up ready. What are you sharing? (laughs) Because at this point, you're just taking stuff from me, taking my time, taking my energy, taking my resources, taking my naivety. I don't want to be jaded. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it comes with learning. Like I used to give people um, like in a lot of digital marketing space and stuff I teach and stuff. And like people used to say like, how'd you get here? How'd you do this? How'd you do that? And I used to respond to everyone and give Mm -hmm. them paragraphs. Of course, of course. We all did it. Take it, take Mm -hmm. it, take it. And then I was like, and then they would come back to me with a like in the end. Or mm-hmm. something. And, and, that, and I'm like, and I would just sit there like. I have slaved for even half an hour to write you a bespoke personalized message, ask you clarifying questions, make yeah. sure that this is, you know, applicable to your circumstance. And you, even if you respond with like, thank you, that's really helpful. Okay, now what? Yeah, <laughs> I want to see what you're doing. Like, keep me pro. Like, I'm helping mm-hmm. you, but I want to see you do it. Mm-hmm. I want to see you do it. And now I don't anymore, unless Mm-mm. someone says. I think it was Mark Manson that got this into me, where I went onto his thing. I was like, me big ego. I was like, oh, maybe I'll if I email him, I'll get him on my podcast. And then it was like minimum 100 episodes for me to have you, like, for you yeah. to even ask for an interview. And I was like, fuck, that's good. That's I like good that because staying that long showing up so much on a podcast says a lot. It mm-hmm. says so much. It's like you're consistent. I'm going to use that. Confident. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's an amazing. Well, I hope you put a fifth, like I've already got you on now. So that's why. No, but, no, but see, the difference is, and like we could, I think it, <laughs> it's interesting because I can't recall why I said yes, but I think it had a lot to do with the fact that not only did you email me once, you followed up. The email was tailored to my specific circumstance. You understood that. I've definitely told my story before. I've told it a thousand times over. I don't want to talk about it. You were able to be adaptable. You actually researched who I was and what I wanted to do. But I often find that um, I would love to talk to people who, so I say no to a lot of things so many times. And people are always so taken aback. Like, why would you say no? And I was like, that would be a good podcast. Everybody I said no to and the reasons why, because that in itself is such a huge learning opportunity. And if you ask, I will definitely tell you why I say no, because I feel as though, you know how when people talk about corporations and unpaid internships and all these exploitative um, labor intensive fields and activities, and they can always reconcile, like this is really exploitative to ask somebody to do something for free when they're adding so much value, mm-hmm. but then people still prepare though that in their own lives like everybody who asks me who hits me up with the intent to ask me for something people who email me spell my name wrong but ask me to promote their products people who uh want me to be on their podcast but they want me to dictate what they talk about because they're not well researched people who want me to introduce them to somebody else who is um a public figure because they want a shortcut to success this is all exploitative what you're saying is i have value that you want to extract for nothing in return why would I do that? <laughs> like, and like the moment I do that, I give you the confidence to go do it to someone else. Can you imagine? I used to do this with work a lot. I used to take these, these jobs that were so far below my value because I was insecure that if I said no, another job wouldn't come. The jobs always come. Mm-hmm. However, what I recognized would happen is that in the early days when I would say yes, I would give that client confidence to go under, undercut the next person. We'll flex it for free. And she did this and added this and did this and showed up early. So why would I pay you to do it? 
And then when I stopped taking those jobs, stopped taking those writing jobs, speaking jobs, influencing jobs, I would see the people who did and be like, oh, right. We need to get you further along the journey, babe, because now you're making it half of the person after you and the person after them. And so I'm really mindful of that as well to, you know, to take the to be the bad cop for a second, to tell people point blank, hey, like, I really appreciate you reaching out to me to do your podcast, but you've got no episodes at all, not even one episode out. You don't have, you don't have a community. This podcast is reaching no one. You're asking me to take an hour and a half out of my day that I could use to do anything else to come and help you. And for what? Not offering money, not offering like uh, impressions, not offering reach, not offering clout, not offering content. I'm sorry, it's not, it's not it. They'll be like, okay, well, so when can, when, you, when can you come on? I'm not going to come on, babe. Like it's not happening until you have proof of concept. I always say, come back to me when you've started and then we'll have a conversation. And they don't come back because they don't start. I think doers can sniff out other doers and you can see it in the way they speak as well. Like the messages they send and stuff like that. Cause the reason that I can be like, I ask, I ask a lot. I feel like I ask a lot from the podcast because I asked for the 15 minute chat before, Mm. but I don't care because I'm not here because you've got hundreds of thousands of followers in an engaged community. That's not why I asked you on. I Mm asked you on because I think we would have a fantastic conversation. It's going to add value to the people that, resonate with this podcast and Mm -hmm. we do like this community is about doing don't listen if you're not going to do and that's why we've got the challenges and all the other stuff because it's like I don't care like it's not gonna it's not going to do anything so I I do believe that I think that comes through and that's why we can and I think doers have done a lot for free that's (laughs) it doers stay doing yeah (laughs) it's funny my book the on the on the um, acknowledgements page. They're like, who do you want to thank? And I just said, this one is for the doers. Yeah, They know who they are now. Amazing. They know who they are. I can't <laughs> wait till the audio comes out because I am going to like love that. I wish I could sit down and fucking read a book, but I just can't. It's just not me and I'm not trying to. Anymore. If it's not for you, it's not for you. <laughs> That's it. Um, fortunately, we are getting towards the end, but I have three questions that I ask everyone at the end of each podcast. And um, I'm super interested to hear what you're going to say on these. So the first question I have for you is, what is the first small step you took to get to where you are right now? Oh, that's a good one. So I would say where I am started with the transition from being a full-timer in an office doing PR to being a DJ. And the first small step I took was I did the shameless thing of asking somebody for help. Well, not help, but asking to give my help. Yes. So I really wanted to... Long story short, like PR is a great industry for learning, but it's a terrible industry for your self-esteem. And you'll be there for 12 hours crying every day because that's just the nature of the industry, especially when you're um, in um, like women related PR roles like fashion and beauty. But I was feeling really insecure. And I thought that uh, at the time I was, I tied a lot of my self-worth into careers. I thought I just need another job. That's fun. And so I was thinking about like a job I could do. And I, at the time I was like 19, still clubbing, but I wasn't drinking, wasn't doing drugs. So, you know, clubbing gets boring when you're the only sober one. So I thought, you know, maybe I'd be, I'll be a door girl. Like that could be fun. You, you know, dress up cute, go to the club, make heaps of friends. But I had to like ask, you know, and I, I knew the club that I wanted to work at and I knew the, the party I wanted to work at. And so I did that thing where I put in the groundwork. I went to a ton of gigs. I tried to make friends with them. I followed them on social, all that stuff. 
and I went up and I said, hey, look, I would love to be a door girl here. Um, and it was so shameless. I was like, I've, I've been to, you know, 10 parties and I really love this person. I really love this person. Um, and they said no. And I was like, oh, okay. And I, it could have been for a ton of things. I didn't fit the vibe or whatever. But I was like, okay, that's no problem. And I just kept going to the party because I liked the party. And I kept hanging out and eventually I made friends with them and they were like, hey, you know, do you want to be our door girl? And I was like, oh, really? Like that was not even my motivation anymore. I, I'd made a bunch of friends. I felt really like comfortable with my life again. And they were like, no, it's super awesome. Like it's what, when you had first asked us, we didn't really know you. And so it felt like a big jump for you to now be the face of our event potentially just because you would come to a few events. But what we really liked was that when we said no to you, you didn't say, you know, well, fuck you guys. I'm never coming here again. It was just business as usual for you. You kept coming, kept hanging out, kept partying, kept dancing. Um, and we really liked that. And it was so funny because in that moment when they had said no, I had to like resign myself. I was like, oh, okay, mm, we tried. And I just went about my life. There was no, like, there was no underlying motive or narrative that I was like trying to, you know, maintain being here. So they'd hire me. I like, I've gotten over that so quickly, but because I was moving with intention and because I had known what I wanted to do, it hadn't worked out, but I hadn't let that soil the experience I was having. They were able to see me for me and regard me as a person they wanted to be around. And so I say that to say that like in my career, I struggle with, uh, I struggle with offering I don't ask for help. I try not to. And I also struggle with offering my help because I want to make sure the value that I'm giving is the value that somebody needs, because that's my, like, that's my big thing. I'm always thinking about, am I valuable? Are the things I do valuable? Am I adding value? So I, I, I get really insecure about saying like, I can do, I will be that person for you, but it's always paid off because because I'm so insecure about it, I make sure I show up ready to give more than the person's asking for. I, I'm always overqualified. I'm always really sure of what I'm doing because I need me to believe that I have enough value to be in this space before somebody else believes it. And there's something about, you know, what he said to me that like, even regardless of the outcome, I still showed up intentionally as myself I didn't spite them I didn't decide that I didn't like them anymore it wasn't really personal it was just a circumstance and that's a really good skill to have because you know in a lot of these industries when you say no to someone you've burnt a bridge people hate when you say no and all I do is say no so it takes a lot for me to say no to someone know that they probably dislike me and still show up ready to be kind ready to be empathetic and personable because they will get over it eventually and will continue <laughs> I love that. That's an awesome, that's an awesome small step. And I love that it had a no in it. Like yeah. people get so said no. discouraged by no's, but I think those are brilliant. I'm saying both saying them and hearing them. Yes. <laughs> we all need to hear no once in a while, like get check, bring yeah. it back down to earth. Like, no, <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> the next question I have for you is what is your biggest millennial crisis right now? And I define a millennial crisis as a privileged problem that consciously or subconsciously affects your mental health or well-being. Yeah, I've got many of those. Uh, being an influencer, being a public figure is my millennial crisis because it is the reason why I am able to do anything I like in my life. It's the reason why I can live in a house I like, do the stuff I want to do, have the time off I want to have, build relationships in the way I've had. Like it is the reason. Without it, I probably wouldn't have done any of it. But like, if I'm being honest with myself, it, the job is just, it's not worth it. Like, can you imagine? 
going to a job where you have to give yourself like all parts of you at all time, 25, eight unpaid, unless you find another way to monetize it. What are you talking about? <laughs> like Every day I wake up and I'm aware that if I don't get on this bloody app and post, my engagement is going to be penalized. We have to work double as hard the next day. What? So I'm always battling between the fact that I don't really want to be here that badly, but also it's just like the perks, so many perks, so many perks. (laughs) And I'm not ready to deal with the consequences of leaving. I don't want to, I don't want to ruin my bag. You know, I don't want to go back to anything that resembles traditional work. Ew. (laughs) And so now I got to deal with like going to therapy and talking about social media shit you know, and having like panic attacks and anxiety attacks because like all these people constantly have access to me. I got to deal with being seven years into this game and people still selling, spelling my name wrong constantly and then being upset that I don't want to work with them. What are you talking about? <laughs> that is my millennial crisis. And I think I'll like, I'm still... I think it remains a crisis because if I could do something about it that wouldn't impact me so terribly, I would. I love running Flex Factory, but the reason why I am a slasher is because I don't want to do one thing. I don't want to put all my eggs in that basket and then resent it because I'm not entertained by it. But I, and I also think I'm kind of resigned to being an influencer because even if I get on this app and not sell people one thing, they're still going to regard me as an influencer. Mm. I was saying like, I usually do one or two sponsored posts a month max. Mm. And everybody's like, she's an influencer. I'm like, I barely do this job. I have friends who do three to four sponsored posts a day. Mm. (laughs) Like we're not the same. And yet I'm still an influencer in the eyes of my community. So it's kind of like, even if I stop and, you know, get rid of all the perks, I'm still going to deal with the, the shitty part of, um, of the, the industry or the career. We'll figure it out. Yeah. That's a brilliant millennial crisis. And like, <laughs> so fits in, in the definition, like poor, oh, poor you. Yeah. Poor you. Oh, oh, poor you. <laughs> People want to talk to you every day. They want to pay you to be yourself. <laughs> no, but, it, but it's so true. And it's so important to really acknowledge them because otherwise like, if we don't acknowledge that it's kind of fucked, (laughs) we end up up actually fucked. That's it. Um, And that's why I keep it to myself. The thing I hate most is when influencers with their hyper-privileged lifestyles want their audiences to sympathize with that lifestyle. Get over yourselves. I think you shared something like that on TikTok about like crying and the idea of authenticity online and feeling as though you need to. When I read that, when I... um, read that heard that I was like oh my god it is so funny because like I'm sure that they are experiencing those emotions but they feel as though they need to put it out there and I'm like it's interesting because you can't also blame them because people see them through one lens so you've got this oh it's again the internet it goes back to the internet being just a crazy place it does (laughs) (laughs) yeah and the the final question I have for you is what is one thing you are still curious about or want to explore I would say probably just anthropology. I'm really fascinated by people, their motivations, why they are the way they are, their cognitive distortions, their biases, the way they are their own demise and don't even see it, the way they're ignorant to themselves but hyper-aware of everybody else. I think it's so fascinating. And I'm overexposed to it given, um, you know, 
like given how many people I interact with in a day, I just see it all so clearly. Um, and I just think it's one of those like uh, life questions that has no answers, but I could think about it all day and discuss it all day. I mean, even talking about what you mentioned earlier, the conversation I was having on TikTok about authenticity culture, and I'm saying, for those who haven't seen it, that I think it's really odd that the metrics we use to accurately assess whether or not someone is authentic or inauthentic is usually measured by things people can fake. So, you know, you see someone come on the internet and they're crying or they're showing heightened, they're laughing really loudly or they're being really angry or they're like contorting their body so they have roles or they're not wearing makeup or they're telling a story about how they were like, you know, just a real person. And people lap that shit up because they're like, yeah, these are the cues. That's the real bitch. And then, you know, you see a girl come onto the internet and she always wears makeup and she never shows you her off day. And you think she's fake because you don't get to see behind the veil. Why is that? I don't know. But again, why is that? Mm. And people are so aware. And also the, 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 the dichotomy or the, the paradoxical nature of the fact that people think influencers objectively are like not credible and their job is so easy and they're distrustful, yet they still trust them by creating communities around them. Mm. How you? How do the two exist simultaneously? How do you say, I don't trust influencers, I don't trust anything they do, they're probably lying, but do you rely on them for so much? Like they are your source of entertainment. I don't get it, but I love it. <laughs> not just individuals but businesses the biggest thing yes! me off about this i speak to them all that the first thing i say to them we're like i want to do influence marketing i'm like first off you need to respect the influencers job and what they do like mm-hmm. if you don't do that good luck to you good luck yeah. to you bye you'll be the next skinny me tea like you Literally. know <laughs> you know boost for a bit and then bye bye like it does not matter but even where people place their trust, like there's this, you know, general rhetoric that businesses and corporations are just the worst. They prey on our insecurities, yet you let them. Mm-hmm. Like another mascara comes out that tells you that like, you'll have really long lashes and then you'll be look really flirty and be attractive and you believe them. And, you know, the, the brand, the trends say that, you know, brown is the color of, you know, of the season and you don't like wearing brown and now you're wearing brown. You believe them, but then... I don't know. I don't know. I think it's the coolest thing, but it's also, I don't know. I think that's, I'm learning to not try and like monetize my interests. And so I was like, let me just have this interest and explore it just educationally in private. <laughs> me, I just got into bouldering because I was like, I can't monetize. Like yeah! and already, I'm only, I only started the start of the year and I was like, maybe I could become a boulderer. <laughs> like me, like who the fuck does she think she is? Like, <laughs> there could be an opportunity here. Yeah. <laughs> Should I start teaching classes? No. Um, before before we wrap up, um, like I mentioned, and I think this is the way you live as well, is we're not about just saying here, we're about doing and we're about getting one step closer to figuring out what it is we want to do by experimenting. Yes. And so if you were to set a challenge to everyone listening right now about one small thing that they could do or trial this week that maybe has had an impact in your life, um, Mm -hmm. something that you do or practice, um, would you have something that you would like everyone to to do? I have so many things. (laughs) Um, But what I'm going to start with is um, something that I think is fundamental 
in anybody's kind of success journey, whether that's career success, personal success, relationship success. It's the idea that people have a better idea of what they want than who they are, not realizing that who you are impacts your ability to, like, to get what you want. So what I want everybody to do is to log onto their preferred internet browser of choice, go into Google, <laughs> type in the Enneagram test by the Reti Institute, R-H-E-T-I, and do your bloody Enneagram. It's a personality test. And before you're like, hey, personality test, you do. Because nobody innately has the skill to self-evaluate objectively. You need, you need the tools that these tests provide. And so you might be saying, I know what my Myers-Briggs is. No, we're not doing, we're not doing Myers-Briggs. It is not where it needs to be for self-evaluation. The reason why I say do the Enneagram as opposed to any other personality test is the results you get take into consideration that how you appear and who you are when you're operating at a default pace is different to when you are behaving unhealthily or when you're in stress. And that's also different to when you're in growth and behaving super healthily. So unlike the Myers-Briggs, for example, once you take that test and get your results, you're so tempted to fit so neatly into the way it's categorized you because you don't have a choice. It's said I'm an ENTP, so I have to behave in this way. Otherwise, I'm not being true to myself. The Enneagram says at any given point in time, you can be perceived in three distinctly different ways and that is okay. You just need to know which ways they are so you can evaluate and say, okay, wait, if usually I'm someone who is assertive and opinionated, but today in this environment, I'm being really passive and, and really afraid to share my views, something's up, what's going on here? You need to be able to have those tools to give you the ability to self-reflect effectively. And I think most people can't do that at all. I think a lot of people regard themselves as better, smarter, more intelligent, more attractive than they are. I think that comparison is important for objective self-evaluation. I know they say like, don't compare yourself to others. You should, <laughs> you should. And not in a way that makes you feel insecure about yourself, but you need to know. I feel like you're allowed to have this really heightened sense of, this really heightened sense of identity in your own head you're allowed to think you're the hottest bitch out you're allowed to think that you're the most special you're allowed to live your narcissistic dream but when you go into the real world you have to be aware of where you sit how you're perceived what is expected of you based on how you look what you say where you are you need to know how you, you can't be in the delusion of like my mom thinks I'm smart and I was in the gifted and talented because we've all done that I was in gifted and talented too and I got a 50 something ATAR <laughs> it's not adding up so I feel as though and even if you're skeptical I don't care do your Enneagram read your results you once you do the test you get a 40 oh no it's between 40 and 70 pages depending on you know what your results are of just information about yourself your basic fears your basic motivations your basic uh desires how you appear when you're healthy how do you, how you appear when you're stressed how you appear in um certain work environments and I think that's just so valuable because now at least when you're building your blueprint for the life you want to live, you have more information to help you make an accurate decision. It's the reason I know, like, and when I heard it, I was like, oh, it makes so much sense. So my basic- yeah, What number are you? I'm a three. 
I am the achiever. But what is really interesting is that I rated an equal three and a seven. So a three is an achiever and the seven is like, sorry, the three is the achiever and the seven is like the entertainer, the performer. And I was like, I'm not a seven. I'm a three through and through. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm definitely a seven. And in my quiet moments when nobody's watching, I'm not at home competing with myself. I'm finding ways to enjoy, to entertain, to be, you know, light and playful. But um, it said that the basic fear of a three is to feel like they're not worthy, like they're useless or they have no value. And honestly, the way that plagues me, I constantly do things and I constantly operate in environments that affirm my value in some way. Like it is so, and it can become so detrimental because what ends up happening is that I seek out relationships, jobs, interests that affirm that feeling of being valued as opposed to leading with what do I actually like? (gasps) So like I might date that guy because he's obsessed with me and he makes me feel really cool, but I'm like, I don't even like his personality. Oh, but he likes me so much. (laughs) Like that is, I know that. And so now I can be hyper aware or at least I can take the extra time when things happen to say, but wait, Uh, is this kind of just triggering your need to feel valued or do you actually want to be here? And sometimes it's, it's hard to know, but at least I can take that step and be introspective. Everybody needs to learn how to be introspective. Yeah, no, that is an awesome challenge. Have you done yours? Yeah, I'm a seven. Oh, are you? Ah! Yeah. (laughs) Love it. Well, also, I mean, I think the majority of you know who Flex is, who Lil is, like you have come across her at some point, but all of her links um, will be in the show notes as well. So if you aren't already following her or have checked out her stuff, um, please do. And also her book, go buy her book. I, like I said, I cannot wait to listen to it. And I'm so glad that you, you are doing an audio version because I think it's going to be brilliant. I'm excited to like do activities again, like do little mm. experiments and do little things. Cause I think they're the best, they're the best books, right? The ones that force you to take action instead of like, ah, oh, I'm going to tell you all this motivation and yeah, it's motivating. Do it when you're ready. Now. Yeah, do. <laughs> yeah. do it now. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you, you want to say or leave off for everyone that is, that is listening? I want to say, and I think about it a lot these days, since writing the book, especially the book is called the success experiment. And I was motivated to write it because I was having a lot of conversations with people who were deeming me to be successful based on arbitrary metrics. I had no idea. Um, but also I was coming across a bunch of millennials and Gen Zers having conversations both online and with my friends. And the common thread is that everybody just felt really dissatisfied with their life. And I would probe a little bit deeper and fig- and to try and figure out like what is the core or the through line between your dissatisfaction and why do you feel so bound by it? Um, and these are people that, you know, are Gen Zs, millennials, they are super creative. They want to live unconventional lifestyles. They want to, you know, live more than they work, all that stuff. And so when I would ask them, but what about your life is disappointing? Why do you feel as though you can't action some of those things that would make you feel more successful Um, and it's because they would all measure the success of their life based on traditional success milestones so like oh I don't have a corporate job therefore my life must not be good or I don't own a house therefore my life must not be good or I'm not in a relationship therefore my life must not be good 
and I'm not saying those things are not true or not important to to know but I think it's a bit counterintuitive to know what you think success would be like you can know in your heart of hearts for me to be successful I would need to be you know making 100k living on a farm um you know painting every day it's counterintuitive for you to know that and then to measure the quality of your life based on other things that you don't even want and so I feel as though the difference between like we said the difference between those who have and don't have and those who try the difference between those who are successful and not successful is totally based on the metrics you use to to identify whether you are or are not and I also think that you are allowed and entitled to feel successful even if you don't even if it's not easily seen by other people if it's a narrative you tell yourself and you're allowed to have agency over that narrative as well so I just want people to feel a bit more empowered with how they view their lives because again nobody's going to pull you out of your hellhole to make you feel successful you get to choose in certain moments if you want to be successful if you want to create those metrics and I feel like maybe some people just need the reminder you know but don't forget life is a game we're all just playing it. The world's ending. The ice caps are melting. Like there's fire. There's a, is, isn't there fire blazing over water right now? Cause of like, you know, an, an oil spill, like life is absurd. And you are allowed to also live that narrative. Be absurd. Go try something that you think is out of your league. Go have a deep conversation unprovoked. Go take three days of work. Not because you're sick, because you feel entitled to just be absurd for a bit and see how it changes your life. Love you recover. <laughs> I, I love that. That is amazing. Um, honestly, I feel like you're speaking to the right audience about the success experiment because this is like preaching to the choir here. Um, so yeah, I can't wait to um, hear what everyone does with their challenge. And when you do, um, let me know, um, tag the millennial crisis. And I don't know if if flex you and want then let me know as well. and then you can do a census okay, like <gasps> you can be like well how many threes are in well. oh my don't god reply. don't expect a reply but tell me because i think that's yeah. fascinating but i and it's i keep thinking you know when people say like attracts like it pretty much does though in the same way that i like to seek out people that i'm philosophically compatible with because it's just going to make a lot of sense when I talk to other people I know who have done the Enneagram, a lot of them are also threes and sevens. It is just not surprising that we are drawn to each other in that way. I don't have, you know, actually I do have a lot of nine friends, which really? I love for me. I don't have, I don't know a lot of other fours and I don't know a lot of other fives. I don't know. No, I do. I sometimes date fives. The point <laughs> is it's interesting to know the people that you are surrounding yourself with and the people that you are drawn to and the reasons you're drawn to them. And I'm not saying that you should now go live your life by the gospel of the Enneagram, but it's find your people, you know, <laughs> seek out your people. Thank you so, so much for my pleasure today for bestowing your wisdom on us all. It has been incredible having you on. I'm so grateful that you gave up some of your time for this. I'm into it. Let's do it again. <laughs> oh, you're still here. Thanks so much. Since you made it this far, do me a massive favor and go and rate this podcast on whatever platform you are on. Leave me a comment. Tell me what you liked most about this episode. Tell me how cool you think I am. Leave me something fun. It's how I can continue to get these amazing guests on the podcast. So if you want to hear more people like Flex on the podcast, go and rate it right now. Share it to your friends on socials. Tell a friend. Tell a friend that you need to listen to this episode. That's all. I'll see you next week. Thanks so much. Bye.